Think about that concept for a moment. Freedom. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. One of my favorite scenes in the movie was where the Scottish people had amassed to fight the English at a place called Stirling. But the Scottish scene, the Scots scene, the English had outnumbered them, plus they were professional soldiers. Uh, many of them started to leave. And then William Wallace, a legend, if you will, a hero of the Scots, comes riding up with his band of men and tells them that they are free men fighting against tyranny. And asks, will they fight? And the response is simple, no. We will run and we will live. And then William Wallace gives what I consider an outstanding inspirational speech. He says, yes, you can run. Well, first he goes, yes, if you fight, you may die. And if you run, you will live. But dying on your bed many, many years from now, would you exchange every day from that day to this for just one chance, one chance to fight for freedom? And their response is, because they follow him into battle, yes. Christ has called us to freedom. The difference is, is he's not asked us to fight the battle. He's already won the war. It is his death, his fight, his resurrection that has given us freedom. The question is, what do we do with it once we have it? So Paul is going to continue on in his letter to the Galatians and says this in chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Paul has been arguing for the last four chapters that their freedom in Christ is the result of faith and that they are righteous because of faith and not following the law. And following the law is impossible. The only point of the law was to teach us that we couldn't follow it, and that we needed a Savior. And so, Paul is saying, Jesus Christ called you to freedom. He called to set us free. So stand firm in that freedom, and don't go back to slavery. Now, in the context, the major point of Paul is that slavery of all the do's and the don'ts of the law. But also underlying that is, as Jesus had said, if you are his disciple, that you are free. And the response to those who were of Abraham's children, they said, we've never been enslaved. We're Abraham's children. And Jesus says, you have been slaves to sin. But if you believe in Jesus, the truth is, will set you free, and you will be free indeed. 
Now, the movie that was an historical depiction, but it was fiction of a historical fact. The point is that was not the last battle the Scots ever fought for their freedom or anybody else's freedom. The world has been subject to wars and rumors of wars and people trying to impose their power and their values on other people. And so there are those who have been willing to fight, but Jesus has called us and we have been set free indeed. So why are you wanting to go back to the slavery of religious do's and don'ts and of sin? Verse two says, behold, I, Paul say to you. Now notice normally when Paul writes, he ends the letter by saying who he is in this letter. He started it by saying who he is. He's now inserted himself again. He's saying, this is personal. I, Paul say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. He's saying, you think by doing the first act of following the law, becoming circumcised will give you some benefit. He says, that is not going to, Christ then will be of no benefit. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Now see, usually when we hear people and want us to live under all these do's and don'ts, they have some exceptions to the rules. Usually those exceptions are the things that they like to do. So, you know, you're not supposed to do X, Y, or Z, except A, because it's okay for me to do that. He's, he's saying, if you receive circumcision, if you're going to follow law, you have to follow the whole law, all of it, the dietary, the, the work restrictions, all of it. And he's already reminded them in the Old Testament that if you are guilty of breaking one, you're cursed. So you got to be perfect. So again, his statement is, not only is it of no benefit, you're in a much bigger trouble. So you're ob- you're ob- you're the obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Now, if you read this, you might, oh, you can maybe lose your salvation. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying that you fell from salvation. He's saying you're attempting to be justified by works. That's down here. That will never get you where you need to be in relationship to God. It's mercy. It's grace. It's up here that grace has placed you. And if by going back to the law, you've taken a fall from what God wants. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So Paul says, this whole thing starts by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who calls us. It is the Spirit who dwells in us. It is the Spirit that gives us life. So we have been gone through the Spirit, and how does that work? By faith. We know that we have the Spirit because faith resides in us. And now we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now there's lots of discussion about what Paul means. And so I'll tell you my humble opinion. 
I believe that you and I are righteous by our acceptance of Christ. However, we don't necessarily realize that at this present time. Because quite frankly, as I live and try to mature in the Lord, I realize just how much further I am away from him. That I'm not that righteous, I'm not that holy. But he has made a promise. And that promise is is that I will be righteous in the day to come. And so Paul will use three words oftentimes. He will use faith, hope, and love. He says that only one of those three is eternal. And that's love. You see, we will no longer need faith because when we close our eyes in this world, and open them anew in his presence, we don't need faith. We have a hope of our resurrection. We have a hope of our acceptance before God. It is like awaiting something from Christmas. You can tell your parents or your spouse or whoever, this is what you want, and you're pretty sure they're going to get it for you, but you don't know until the present is unwrapped. And once it's unwrapped, Now you no longer have hope because it's there. And so the hope of righteousness is, is that my faith that Jesus paid it all comes to reality. So that's my hope of my, I am not self-righteous. I have a hope of righteousness that comes through Jesus. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Paul saying, it doesn't matter what the flesh looks like. It doesn't matter whether you are part of the law or away from the law. It's Christ. The rest of it, just window dressing. But what really matters, and Paul adds these few words because he's been discussing about faith, that faith and not works, faith and not following the law, but it's faith working through love. Again, because there will come a day when we no longer need faith, but love is eternal. And what does it matter if I have the faith to move mountains and have not love? Paul will say in another letter, it profits me nothing. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. He's saying, where'd you go off track? It's certainly not the Spirit. It's certainly not Jesus because Jesus and the Spirit would have told you that it's faith, not the law. So, Who was it involved in getting you off track? Then he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Most of us aren't bakers. And most what we do is we go to the supermarket, buy a little uh, container of biscuits, strip off the thing, bang it on the table, stick it in the oven. It raises and we eat biscuits. But that's not really how biscuits are made. You've got to do all the flour and whatever. 
But if you want them to rise, you don't want them. You put a, a, but you don't need a lot. A little leaven works in a tremendous way. And he's saying in spiritual matters, leaven is almost always, not always, but almost always used as a symbol for sin. He says a little sin messes up a whole lot of stuff. And therefore, even in a large congregation or a little congregation, just one or two people teaching the wrong thing can infect an entire church. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view but that the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul's not naming names and taking captives. He's just saying, whoever it is, he's going to deal with his own judgment. And I have confidence because I started this ministry in you that you won't continue in that teaching, that you will follow Jesus. But, I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Paul saying, from a ministry standpoint, it would be easier to say, yeah, you got to follow the law, because then all I got to do is talk about being a good little boy or girl, and, and, and shouldn't we all just be good little boys and girls? Some almost 2,000 years later, we have taken the cross to be something of beauty. We make them out of gold or silver, or platinum or whatever. We wear them around our necks. We put them in jewelry. And we view the cross as, as some beneficial, identifiable object. But not so when Jesus was placed on it. It was a shameful execution. And anybody who was so treated, you wanted to look away from, to be abhorrent of them. And Paul's saying, Jesus died on a cross. It'd be a whole lot easier if I were just say, just follow, be a good little boy and girl. But when I talk about the cross of Christ and the shame that that invokes in those people that day, I'm now persecuted. Because of pointing to the shame and not being good little boys or girls. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Basically saying, I wish that they would whack it off. They want you to take a little bit. I want them to basically emasculate themselves. Paul is being very, very stern here. Because if I teach you two plus two is five, I'm wrong. And hopefully someday you'll learn the right thing, or you might lose a few pennies going to the supermarket. But if I teach you the wrong way for eternity, then that has eternal consequences. And Paul is saying, I'm not messing around here. People 
who would put you on the wrong path or to avert you so that you don't understand what the true grace of God is. As Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your arm prevents you from entering into the kingdom, cut it off. And Paul's saying, if those people prevent you from understanding what God is doing, then I hope they mutilate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brethren. So he goes back to this theme. You have been called by Jesus through his spirit for freedom. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Paul is now going to start moving to, from, if you will, theology to application. We all, as Americans, are proud of the freedom that we have or had or may get. Paul saying, with that freedom, what do you do with it? What do you do with your spiritual freedom? So he says, you've been called to freedom, brethren. So the question is, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. You've got some choices with your freedom. You can live for yourself. You can live for your appetites. You can live for the sins of the, and the passions. And here's the problem, and he won't go into it fully until later. The problem with living for the flesh, living for appetites, is that they are never, ever, ever, ever satisfied. I will give you some examples. Yesterday evening, I went to dinner. Had a very nice dinner. Went to P.F. Chang's. We have to edit that, I'm sorry. Had several different types of, of uh, plates. Even brought some home. Ate till I was full. Then had dessert. And you know what? This morning... I wasn't still full. I had breakfast. When I'm finished preaching here today, I'll go either out or home and eat lunch. Because once I've eaten, it doesn't fill me. And even when I'm filled and satisfied, I'm never satisfied. You want possessions. There's that car you've always wanted. Or maybe a substitute, you know, the car before the car you've always wanted. And how you're going to be happy with that car. And you buy the car, especially if you're a teenager, you buy your first car. And you're excited and every other day you wash it and whatever. Until you stop. Because it's just a car. And your friend has a better one. Or the people in your high school or school or at work have a better car. Or other pleasures. And I'll let you fill in those blanks. None of our appetites are ever satiated. So Paul is saying, yeah, you can live for the flesh. But you'll never be satisfied. So don't use the freedom that you've been called for those things that won't last. But he gives us some suggestions through love 
through love serve one another. Now, isn't this interesting? Paul, for four and a half chapters, has been telling us that we have freedom. That we've been set free. We've been called to freedom. So he says, now that he says, okay, now that you have an opportunity for freedom, what are you going to do with it? Paul says, serve people. Be a servant. But do it in love. Again, I can do things that are maybe beneficial to you. But if I don't love you, it just works. Freedom to serve. Not compulsion to serve. Freedom to be just as Jesus. What did Jesus Jesus, the Son of God, who came here on earth as a man, walked among us to say, I'm the son of God, worship at my feet. No, he washed his disciples' feet. And he even told them, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you'll figure it out later. The most powerful entity in the universe, God, came to serve. For the whole law, for those who are still wanting to be concerned about the law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've repeated this over and over, and I'll repeat it again. For some, this may not be that big a deal. For me, it is awesome. Because I love me a whole lot. As I tell you, I take me wherever I go. I laugh at all of my jokes. I think my opinions are right. I think you should listen to me. I love myself a lot. So therefore, if I love myself a lot, then I'm supposed to love you as I love me. So here's Paul going back to the law saying, you want to you keep the law? Love each other. Serve each other. Take your freedom that God has called you to and be like Jesus. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You know how disputes, especially in churches, work. Somebody gets upset with this person and that person's got to tell them and then that person joins their side, another person joins their side, and all of a sudden you have factions, and all of a sudden you don't have a church, and then eventually you don't have a congregation. Why did I say the two different? Because people can meet as a corporate group and show up and give money and whatever, but they're not a church. A church is a bunch of believers who are there united in love and purpose. Not my purpose, not your purpose, but his purpose. So Paul has told us that we've been called to freedom, that Jesus has set us free. And in these brief few verses, he has given us an option. 
serve your flesh or serve one another. And then this letter written to the Galatians that asked that question asked you and I the same question. What are we going to do with our freedom? Are we going to say, because I can go to heaven, I can do whatever I want, and I don't care because I got a get-out-of-hell-free card. Or do I say, I'm going to take the opportunity of my freedom to be like my Lord, to love, to serve, and to serve in love. Brethren, we are free. I encourage you and I encourage me to use our freedom for what it was meant to be used for.